Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. Uh, are huge. So the Inflation Reduction Act has two or three programs, really, depending on how you count, that, that can be used to offset these upfront costs for people who that are income qualified. Uh, it's less than 150% of the area median income. So it's different everywhere. Yep. Um, there are rebate programs through their um, electrification rebates that are up to $14,000 to offset the cost of, uh, of the heat pump equipment, the weatherization, insulation, and air sealing work that probably needs to be done alongside that to improve the home, the electrical work, and the panel upgrades that may need to be done, um, and the cost, uh, in some cases, the cost of, of labor uh, to get that work done. So that's $14,000 for some people right off the top. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. This segment is brought to you by Root Quencher and RootQuencher.com. If you have trees you're trying to water and they're not healthy, you need to get water right to the roots. And you know how you do it? Root Quencher. Check out RootQuencher.com. Save some money and have healthier trees. Welcome to the Round the House show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a big show lined up this hour. We've got Steve Pontano, head of research at Rewiring America. Steve, welcome to Around the House. Thank you, Eric. Glad to be here. Yeah, this is such an important topic right now. And, and you know, in, in my local area here in Portland, Oregon, and, you know, this show goes across the United States on the radio and, of course, internationally on the podcast. But, you know, this electrification thing is huge. And we've gotten a lot warmer in the Portland area for a lot of different reasons. And probably 30 to 35 percent of our homeowners here or renters don't have any AC, let alone a heat pump. Yeah, it's um, it's really so where I live, I live in Maryland and nice. uh, it's hot. It's hot and humid here right now. Yeah. Um, and most, most homes have AC um, and have for years. Um, and I think the Pacific Northwest is an interesting story because, as you said, it's getting warmer and you know, people are always looking to upgrade their, their home, whether they're a renter or homeowner and looking for options to, to have cooling now where they didn't yeah. maybe need it before. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, there's a bunch of interesting new products coming out that solve for that for both renters and, uh, renters and homeowners in a variety of different building types. Um, I'll oh, give yeah. you a quick anecdote. I was at Costco, uh, a few days ago mm-hmm. and saw the first portable air conditioner heat pump uh, combo that I've ever seen on sale for $300. Wow. Uh, those floor standing ones with the mm-hmm. little ducts that run out the window and yeah. not maybe not everybody's like first choice for a heat pump, but certainly an option for people who don't have other ones um, to bring electric heat uh, and cooling into their home. You know, if they have a small apartment or something and you have uh, you know, maybe you have steam heat or something and no air conditioning, this could be a great way to um, 
to to bring you know fairly efficient electric heat and cooling into a place and for 300 bucks i mean that's the lowest certainly the lowest price heat pump i've ever laid my right eyes on, so. yeah and you think about it i mean there's so many houses especially on the west coast out here we see a lot of apartments or homes built in the 50s 60s 70s 80s and 90s like with the you know with the wall cadet heaters or the baseboard heat or something like that and if you could hook that up where you're getting heat in the winter time with that right in that heat pump technology you could actually be saving over you know what you had traditionally built into the wall because that is such inefficient heat when you're talking those forced air electric you know or you know resistance heat heaters that are mounted on the walls yeah i mean it that's so there's a lot to talk about here. So resistance, <laughs> resistance heat is what a lot of people probably think about when they think about electric heat. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a toaster, right? Your toaster oven exactly. is electric heat. You just have a big toaster all over your house if you have electric resistance heat. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, by definition, 100% efficient. Every, you know, every bit of energy that goes in there turns into a bit of heat. Um, heat pumps can get three, four times more efficient than that um, yeah. easily under most circumstances. So if you have electric resistance heat, um, you are definitely going to save money uh, if you switch over to heat pumps. Now you have to, you know, maybe you need to install ductwork or install mini split heat pumps that go through the wall. And it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a um, simple transition uh, necessarily logistically. Like you need, you know, you need expert help, um, but you're going to save a ton of money. And now there's all these federal incentives coming into play um, and tax credits through the Inflation Reduction Act that can hopefully help to reduce that cost to a, a manageable place for for most people, if not all. And they, those go along perhaps with other state and local incentives or u- utility incentives to switch to heat pumps, because even in the electric utilities, best interest to move people off that electric resistance heat and into um, into heat pumps because they're that much more efficient. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And then there's that common, you know, misconception that, oh, I live in a colder climate, so a heat pump isn't going to work for me. Yeah, that's that's another place where there's a ton of work uh, being done, a ton of innovation in cold climate heat pumps. There's organizations like NEEP, the Northeast Energy Efficiency Partnership, uh, which has been leading the way on a lot of this work. The Department of Energy has a cold climate heat pump challenge. There's a lot of innovation happening from individual manufacturers. And we now have products on the market that can provide <clears throat> or will soon through this uh, DOE heat pump challenge. Mm-hmm. I believe they can provide 100% of their heat output down to five degrees below zero Fahrenheit, which is um, really remarkable performance. Yeah. And even even your run-of-the-mill heat pump. So where I live, um, we I have uh, SEER 15, so that's okay. the energy efficiency rating, SEER 15 single-stage heat pumps that are about 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, on my house right now, and I have oil heat for backup, which I hate to use because it's super expensive, and I try to use sure. it as little as possible. And my heat pumps keep my home comfortable down to about twenty five degrees outdoor temperature, which is pretty cold. Yeah, um, and I could probably push it even a little bit further before the family starts to complain that they're <laughs> a little chilly. Um, but even that ten year old sort of entry level, most basic, minimum standard technology today. Uh, will work down to 25 degrees, yeah. uh, which is, you know, plenty of heat for most parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can get, you can get, obviously get much better performance out of the the newer products that are available today. Oh yeah. I've got a friend who's an architect up in Maine and she's using heat pumps on her projects up there even. 
So yeah, Maine is Maine is a great story. There's, um, I think Maine is leading the way in a lot of a lot of ways around the country in in heat pump installations, and it gets pretty darn cold in Maine. It does. Um, I don't know if you've spent any time up there, but yeah, the winters yeah, are brutal. And, it's brutal up there. You know, uh, it's it's people, yeah. You know, other than places where you have extreme temperatures, like my son that just moved to North Dakota, where, you know, you're getting into the negative 35s, where clearly you have to have something else as backup. In most of the U.S., a heat pump's going to work great for you. Yep, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. You know, and it's and it's smart because we all like saving money. Nobody likes paying that huge gas bill, oil bill, you know, or even electric bill if you've got that electric resistance heat. And like he said, the rebates that we're seeing out there right now are massive. Yep. Yeah, the rebates uh, are huge. So the Inflation Reduction Act has two or three programs, really, depending how you count, that that can be used to offset these upfront costs for people who make uh, their that are income qualified, uh, which is by by the what the law says it's less than 150% of the area median income so it's different everywhere yep um there are rebate programs through their um electrification rebates that are up to $14,000 to offset the cost of uh, of the heat pump equipment the weatherization insulation and air sealing work that probably needs to be done alongside that to improve the home the electrical work and the panel upgrades that may need to be done um and the costs uh, in some cases, the cost of, of labor uh, to get that work done. So that's $14,000 for some people right off the top. Um, wow. And uh, for others who have who pay income taxes, there's the, the 25C tax credit program, mm -hmm. which is the energy efficiency tax credits that have been around forever. Uh, his, historically, these have had a lifetime limit. So you could do a project and then you hit your lifetime cap and you don't get to redeem that again. That lifetime limit's been removed and now people can redeem those year after year. Um, and the list of products that qualify have been expanded substantially to include heat pumps and, and other um, high efficiency equipment. Around the house, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. What's up? Dan Satchel from Steel Panther, and you are listening to Around the House with Eric G. Yeah. We love Eric G, and you should too. Welcome back to the Around the House show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we've been talking about electrification inside your home, and this is something where you can save some serious money with all the rebates and everything else out there. And we've been talking with Electrification America about this exact thing. Now, let's get back to Stephen here, where we've been talking about heat pumps and heat pump water heaters and all those things that can save you a little bit of money around your house. Absolutely. And and I, I was a early adopter of the heat pump water heater for my house because I had gas and I'm like, you know, wait a minute, this makes a lot of sense. And I love that we're starting to see heat pumps used in many other places around the home like that, because my savings on my on my heating of my water was massive. That thing pays for itself yeah. really quickly when you put a heat pump heading towards a water heater. That's my, so that's my next one. That's the next thing I'm doing in my house. I have a resistance water heater. Mm -hmm. um, I've done, actually done some maintenance on it recently, put new anodes in. And I know it's, you know, it's maybe got a couple of years left. It's a little small for my house. The yep. heat pump water heaters, you can get a bigger storage tanks. Yeah. And they can run in hybrid mode. So if you need 
hot water replenish quickly, they can just default back to resistance um, in many cases and kind of keep up just like any old water heater uh, can do today. Yeah. And I have three daughters. There's a lot of hot showers <laughs> and a lot of yep. hot water demand in my house. Um, and I'm going to need a bigger, I already need a bigger tank. So, yeah. you know, I know that's one of the biggest uh, points of energy consumption in my house. And I'm really looking forward to, um, to making that switch probably yeah. this year. Yeah, I went to I went with a Bradford White. I went from a 40 gallon mm. gas to an 80 gallon heat pump water heater. That's awesome. And um, I think with my energy rates out here, I don't think that's costing me $100 to heat that wow. year round because yeah. it uses about 500 watts of energy on heat pump mode. And because I have the bigger tank, it's not having to rarely does it go into hybrid mode mm-hmm. uh, because even when I have my. 22-year-old daughter come over with her friends and crash on the couches and stuff, even when they just blast through hot water, it's always kept in that. So it's pretty rare when it doesn't do that. But I tell you what, yeah. it uh, that was a game changer on energy, energy savings outside of just a regular heat pump. It was one that I, I was shocked at how much money that actually saved me. Yeah, I know that's going to be a good one, good one for me too, given the circumstances. The other thing I'm actually looking forward to with the, the heat pump water heater is the dehumidification in the, the basement, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it'll, I run dehumidifiers in my basement now, and this is, yep. you know, another energy cost that I get to, uh, diminish as a result of, uh, you know, when I get that heat pump water heater, I'll get sort of free dehumidification in the basement at the same time. Yeah. You know, that's, that's one of the things let's talk about this with heat pumps. Cause I think this is an important thing outside of, of course, the, the energy basics that you get with this, you know, that's the obvious thing, but it creates such a healthier home environment as well, because, when you're running that, um, you know, your your heat pump, you're taking out humidity, you're you're filtering out, you know, uh, things that are in the air. So you, ha- you end up having a much, you know, cleaner, healthier home because of you've got this central system working versus just a, a steam heat, radiant heat yep. or electric that's just going through these. It's shocking how much that filter will pick up in the house if you put a decent one in when you put that heat pump. Yeah, I have. So I have Merv 13 filters, so pretty good filters on mine. Um, I've got these nice big four inch uh, ones that you don't have to change too often, which is pretty nice. Yeah, but they do. They do a lot of work to clean the air. You're right. When you're moving from uh, steam radiators or electric resistance to uh, to a forced air system with a heat pump, uh, or even a mini split, they do have, you do get that air, air filtration benefit. Yep. Even when you move from a furnace forced air system to a heat pump, because of the way heat pumps operate, um, they're meant to run almost continuously to yep. keep the house versus a furnace, which is going to cycle a lot more frequently and sort of get these blasts of hot air that sort of diminish over time. And then it blasts you again. Mm-hmm. Heat pumps will do, do a much more gradual heat. They, are intended to run uh, continuously. And by doing so, they actually filter and process more air in the house. So um, compared to that furnace insulation, you're going to have way more runtime, way more air moving through the filters um, and much, a much higher volume of air filtration than you would otherwise have had. Um, and um, yeah, I think it's just, gen- it takes a little bit of education. People don't, you know, people are used to the blast of hot air out of the air register and Typically, like there's stories out there of folks who have gotten a heat pump and they're like, where's my hot, air, my quote unquote hot air? Um, and their house is just as warm and comfortable. It just 100%. doesn't feel as hot because it's it's sort of more gradual, uh, more gradual form of heat. So. And to me, it's less distracting. You don't hear this thing spooling up like a jet engine. You know, it's not 
you know, and especially for me where I'm recording things, you know, when you have a heat pump going, it's so much quieter. You're watching television. You can't go up. Oh, furnace is turning on, you know, yeah, and that kind of the, thing. Uh, the scene in, in Home Alone where Kevin yes. goes in the basement and there's the big, the big <sighs> mob or whatever yep. furnace in there. That was cold, um, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I stayed, I stayed in a, uh, vacation house over the summer um, a couple of years ago that had a really high-end Mitsubishi heat pump uh, system in it. Mm -hmm. And it was right on the patio outside the, the house, right on the deck. And yeah. it was almost silent. Like it was it was much better than the ones that I have on my house, which are 10 yeah. years old, single speed. I mean, they're loud to like a central air conditioner because yeah. that's essentially the same product, right? Um, but these newer ones are, are, are really fantastic in terms of um, sound. Yeah, my my AC that I have in my house here sounds like a box fan outside, right? Mm -hmm. Just hear the air movement, and that's really all it is. So they've gotten so much yeah. better with that. So one of the questions I have, and this is one of the the pushback that I get for people because I talk to a lot of people about smart home tech and that kind of stuff is is what do we do nationally to get our electric, you know, because the utilities out there are doing a great job of trying to upgrade stuff, but our electric consumption, of course, is going to be going up with electric cars and all these new electric things that we're putting in. Are we going to be able to stay on top of that, do you think, you know, as far as keeping our our neighborhoods wired and that kind of stuff with with as much that we're trying to do electric with electricity? Yeah, I, that's a great question. We get that all the time as well. Um, and I have I think the the key point to make here is about the amount of time that this is going to take. Right. We're not going to put electric cars in every garage tomorrow. We're not going to put heat pumps in every house tomorrow. We're just not. We, I wish we could, but we yeah. won't. Um, it takes time, right? So we have, uh, we just published a report that looks out towards the year 2050 um, and says, if we want to electrify uh, everything in the economy by 2050 um, and typical, typically like different types of equipment, like cars or heat pump HVAC or heat pump water heaters have different lifetimes. So for a heat pump sure. HVAC system, it's typically 15 years. So he said, well, really by 2035, we need to be turning all the sales over uh, to heat pump by that date to make sure that, you know, more yeah. or less everything is electrified by um, on the heating side by um, 2050. So even that, like 100% of sales by 2035 is still 12 years down the road. If we hit that target, we're talking about a couple decade long transition, which is the time scale on plenty of time on a utility time scale to upgrade infrastructure, right? Sure. So what I think needs to happen is a bit of um, integrated planning, right? We need uh, kind of everybody to have this in mind as they're planning grid infrastructure upgrades. I'm sure that utilities in a lot of places are already doing this, as are the uh, regulators, uh, but saying, you know, where is this load growth going to happen on what time scale? Don't change that dial around the house. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Hey, this is Ron Keel, the Metal Cowboy from Keel, the Ron Keel Band and Steeler. We are rocking around the house with Eric G. Raise your fist, make your Welcome back to the Around the House Show. If you want to find out more about us here, 
at Around the House, head over to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. And make sure you catch our videos over on our website as well, because I've got my TV show videos over there. So if you've got a project you're tackling and you need some inspiration, it's all over there at AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Now let's get back to Stephen with Electrification America. Planning, right? We need uh, kind of everybody to have this in mind as they're planning grid infrastructure upgrades. I'm sure that utilities in a lot of places are already doing this, as are the uh, regulators. Uh, but saying, you know, where is this load growth going to happen on what time scale um, and how do we plan our upgrades so that we're addressing the places where the load growth is going to be first? Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, there's other like countervailing things like electric resistance heat, which can come off the grid and be replaced Correct. with heat pumps. So you sort of have this ability to make trades. Um, uh, so you're adding load in some places and taking it away in other places and at the same time planning over 20 years to make upgrades. If we are doing this work now with two decades to get it done, I'm pretty confident we can figure out this puzzle and not break the grid, right? I think that's, it's a bit of a straw person argument, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, And and it just requires a little bit of foresight and planning and sort of understanding that this is the way the market's probably going to go and should go um, because people are going to demand this stuff because it works better and um, gives better outcome. Like this is where we're headed. Right. Yeah. I've had I've had friends that I've walked into their house. Well, I'm thinking about adding a heat pump or I'm thinking about doing this and that. And you go through and start looking at the baseboard heat they have around the house. And, you know, they've got six 40 amp circuits of yeah. of baseboard heat around the house. And I'm like, ah, OK, so you got enough here to put in a heat pump and a car charger. If you and just take those out, your neighbors probably as well with all that amperage, right? right? Like we're, this is load reduction. This isn't even just load growth. We're, there's exactly. also load reduction to be had. So, so yeah, I think it. You know, and what that means is, if you are uh, the mayor of a town um, and you want to take on an initiative to electrify where you live, or or you know, <clears throat> if you're a utility program manager looking at efficiency programs. And, and deploying heat pumps and electrification programs, you probably want to prioritize those electric resistance uh, homes somewhere near the top of your list so that yeah. you're doing this work with, you know, those people are going to save the most money. Um, it's going to be the most beneficial from a load management perspective on the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, and and generally, we'll have better outcomes and happier because like this is it's if you start thinking about this as a holistic solution to a bunch of problems instead of like, Joe needs a heat pump. Let's solve Joe's problem. This is like, how do we do this at scale across a community or within, you know, a substation of a a particular part of the electric grid? Then you start to see that there are ways to do it smartly that aren't going to cause these long term problems that people are worried about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Where do you see technology going? I know you guys do a lot of studies on stuff with heat pumps. Do you think that we're going to get down? I know there's only so much heat in the air when you get down to you know, minus 15, minus 20 in some of these areas that it gets harder and you have to, it's work harder to get more heat pulled out of the air. Do you think we'll get it where, where most areas, when we even get up into, uh, you know, the, the colder Midwest, do we ever see that that's getting closer to, to being, being a way to be able to capture that heat? I, I think so. So yeah, when you think about the heat in the air, you actually have to start from absolute zero, right? So yep. we're 200 and several hundred degrees above that all the time. Correct. So five or 10 degrees to us, when you're going from minus five to minus 10, whatever, it feels like a dramatic thing. But in the mm-hmm. thermodynamic world, it's not 
as dramatic. Yes, you have to like the technology has to work harder to get that heat out. You need different refrigerants running in the refrigerant lines of the equipment. Mm -hmm. um, but I, again, looking over that 15, 20 year timescale that we're talking about, I have every confidence that manufacturers and innovation will spin up and solve these problems when the problem, when there's a market for them to do so, right? This, we have a long history of solving problems in well under 20 years. Exactly. <laughs> you think about what your life is like, think about your cell phone 20 years ago and what oh, you have yeah. today. Um, it's, it, we're like light years past that, right? So it, this is, you know, this is um, opportunities for, for small companies and innovators and inventors to come to the market and, and bring new solutions to this. I don't even know if we're limited to sort of compressor thermodynamic cycles. Like we don't mm -hmm. necessarily, there might be solutions that are beyond sort of what we consider an air conditioner or a heat pump today that are going to come and help to solve some of these problems as well. So Question. yeah, we've got, again, we've got time, but we have to start planning and thinking about these things. Now we need organizations to, um, sort of like the department of energy does like, here's the cold climate heat pump challenge. Here's a real big, uh, market opportunity that we think needs to be solved for in the next five to 10 years. We'll put a challenge out there to manufacturers to hit this specification because we know it'll be useful for this big portion of the market. What comes after that? I'm sure there's, you know, there's X prize like things that could come down the road to solve for new problems and get us that much further down the line yeah. um, and help to organize, you know, organize that innovation. And I, I don't see why we can't solve these problems. Yeah. Nice. You know, I mean, we've got, there's a lot of solutions out there for the power generation side, and that's really come a long ways from the, from the utility side of things, you know, and I'm not mm -hmm. just talking about people putting solar up on their homes, but it just seems that with, you know, wind, uh, solar, you know, all the different ways you're seeing utilities now. We've got a lot of stuff out here on the West Coast uh, from hydroelectric to nuclear to everything else. But it seems like we're starting to figure out ways to get the power generated. Really, it's coming down to the public to start making those choices themselves of, hey, I want to save some money and put a heat pump in. And yeah. I've got the government rebates to help me put it in. And I think let's let's also imagine like you know, we tend to think of, of technical solutions around what we're familiar with and yeah. what is today, right? That's sort of most people's framework for saying, well, this thing can't get better because it's always going to, the car's always going to look like a car, right? Yeah. Um, it's always going to have four wheels and a combustion engine. Well, no, like it may still have four wheels, but now it might have electric motors, right? And there may yeah. be future solutions that or I'm not even going to venture into, but yeah. um, there's ways of, for example, putting batteries into a lot of products that don't traditionally have batteries as a way to manage the grid and improve resilience, which is something we haven't talked about yet. Um, there are a couple of induction stoves that coming to market now, um, for example, which fit, you know, sort of you pull out your old stove and drop this in and it plugs into a 120 volt outlet. Yeah. And the reason it can run that way is because it has a big bank of batteries built into the what what, what used to be the warming drawer. Um, nice. And those batteries allow you to um, lower your overall load because it essentially charges the batteries and those handle the peak load of when you turn your burners on and you want to boil water real fast. But you also, during a power outage, can hypothetically plug your fridge into your stove and power your fridge for several hours and yeah. cook your food, right? So um, this idea of bringing batteries into more types of products um, and energy storage, so your hot water heater is a form of energy storage as well, the hot water in the tank. 
um, batteries store same energy in electric form. This idea of bringing energy storage into the home in different places for different uses helps to also reduce that demand on the grid, improve people's resilience during outages. Same way you can plug your Ford F-150 Lightning into your house and power everything for eight days or whatever it is. Um, we'll have, I think we'll have, we'll start to see batteries show up in more places to serve those same types of roles. Oh yeah. I mean, I have one of those, uh, those battery, the, um, it's a Geniverse one, but it's the size of a cooler. And yeah. I had just gotten here a few weeks ago and, uh, we had a windstorm and my, one of my in-laws who lives up the street from me, power is out for a day. And I said, Hey, take it, go plug your fridge in. And that powered their fridge for 16 hours and used, um, what, 45% of the battery? It could have gone for another couple days on that. And they were shocked at how efficient that was. And that it just really shows. And I think we're going to see, you know, backup power like that is going to be something that's going to be more important as we go forward. Not because of what we're doing here, but the utility companies, at least on the West Coast, are are having some issues with liability where if the winds are coming up here, you know, Pacific Power just had a big lawsuit here and, um, you know, where they are paying for a wildfire and whether or not I'm not going to comment on that whole situation. But long story short, that's going to cause us to have some more outages because power companies across the U.S. are going to go, hey, we're going to cut liability. Yeah. So I think that's smart to have a backup plan for anything. I mean, at the same time, we had uh, an ice storm here last year. And when the power went out, so did the natural gas because they lost the power to the natural gas stations. So it was all down. And so I think that resiliency is a really big thing that uh, is uh, is just as important as everything else we're doing. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's a bit of um, mythology about this too, misconception about resilience and electricity. So a lot of, a lot of people point to natural uh, fossil gas, natural gas heat as, you know, well, the power goes out, I can still heat my home. Well, no, you can't. If you have a furnace, you still need electricity to run, to turn the furnace on one and to turn the fans on to blow the heat through the house or your furnace won't work. Right. So, there's there's a lot of misconception about this, um, and I would argue uh, strongly that as you're moving towards um, more of this distributed model of you know rooftop solar and batteries in the home and electric technologies using that energy, you have a path to self sufficiency and resilience that you don't have when you're relying on um, delivered fuels or or delivered gas to your home or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a, you know, it's in addition to it being better technology, it's, it's more resilient, it's more self-sufficient and, um, you know, a little more, I don't know, better, better quality, uh, experience for people at the end of the day. I don't personally, I'm, you know, I, I do this stuff for a living, right? So yeah. maybe I'm the wrong hype man, but to me, it's, I'm an engineer, right? This yeah. still seems pretty rational to me uh, in my engineering brain at the same time. Well, I'll be the first to say I have a gas cooktop at my house right now. And it's mm-hmm. I have a 48 inch gas range. You know, it's electric ovens, gas range. Would I much rather be cooking on an induction top? Yeah. Induction cooking is so far superior to gas as far as that goes, because you have better temperature control. You're putting less heat in the house. And yep. if I have that big, 48,000 BTU burner and I'm 
going to do a crab boil or something like that. And I turn it on there. And if I had an induction next to it, the induction is going to cook that, take that to a boil twice as fast as that big burner will. So is it a better way to cook? Yeah, absolutely. No question. Yeah, I mean, I've, I put an induction cooktop. I had a resistance, uh, like a, you know, fancy looking yeah. glass top resistance thing that broke and I put an induction one in and it is so much better even than the resistance stuff that people are used to. Oh, yeah. Um, it's fast. You can you you turn the heat from full to one and it drops in the, the heat in the pan drops almost immediately. It's it's really remarkable uh, technology. And the um, safety fact, is good I too, some, right? Yeah, the safety is great. Um, I actually cooked. So I have I have three kids. There's five people living in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a period of time where um, our cooktop was not working. So there was like in between getting the resistance one was yep. broken and we need the um, induction one. It was went on for way too long. It was like two months where I cooked for a family of five with a portable induction burner that I bought for $70 yep. in, a, in an instant pot and my uh, pellet grill outside. So okay. um, between those three things and my oven, I suppose, um, yep. and my microwave, I, you know, I don't, one burner, one induction burner that I got for $70 was um, sufficient for, it was a bit of a pain in the ass sometimes. Sure, of course. I mean, that's not uh, easy because you're like, hey, okay, um, we're going to do the sides over here. Right? It, yeah. was, it was doable. And I think yeah. that, you know, for me was an interesting experiment because even with a big family, I could say, you know, if I was, if I was living in a home with uh, a gas cooktop and I, you know, for health reasons or asthma or whatever the case may be, I didn't want to use that gas cooktop anymore. And I wanted to try induction out. I can pick this thing up off Amazon or, or Walmart or wherever for 70, 80 bucks and use it uh, every day if I want to and have a pretty good experience and then try it out for myself and then, you know, prove the technology for myself and then maybe make that choice to upgrade um, in the future to like the, the full, you know, pull that gas appliance out and make mm-hmm. the choice to go fully towards induction in the future. Yeah, absolutely. If I, if I didn't have a $10,000 gas range sitting in there right now, I'd probably be looking at it, but it's yeah. going to be there for a bit just because it's a, it's a major investment. <laughs> yeah. I bet. I bet that would be a hard pill to swallow. That's a hard pill to swallow, but maybe they'll have some rebates down the road for that, but you <laughs> yeah. know, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And, and I know the gas range is a, has been a very controversial newsworthy thing of people you're not taking my gas range you know that kind of stuff and to be honest uh it cooks better the electric does um i don't the health side of things as far as inside the home uh we have american homes have a big ventilation problem in the kitchen and i don't care Mm -hmm. if you're cooking on an induction or a gas if you're not using your range hood you're causing problems so no matter what, I think people should be using their their range hood when they're cooking on that surface, whether you have an induction or a gas, and that's sure. a whole other argument. But I I agree that you can much safer you can it's so much safer to cook on that as well because the chance of having a, a fire you know yeah. in that or a kitchen fire off your cooktop is so much less because you're not boiling things over into flame or onto a cooking surface because the pan is the cooking surface, not the actual you know, yep. cooktop itself, which is what a lot of people I think that haven't used it don't understand that you're actually taking the metal in the pan and exciting the uh, iron particles in there. And that's what's cooking. And you can literally put a sheet of paper underneath that cook uh, under your appliance that you're, you know, between the cooktop and the pot that you're cooking and yep. uh, not hurt that piece of paper, but you're boiling water. 
And not to mention, it's so, I mean, it's so much easier to clean afterwards because right? the top is not hot, right? So, I mean, it's, it's warm, but it's not going to cook. You're not going to cook food onto your cooktop if it spills out of the pan or if grease splatters out or what have you. I probably save 20 minutes a day not scrubbing the garbage oh. off the top of my cooktop after I cook a meal. That's not trivial. That's like a reason, you know, that's a pretty big benefit. I can just wipe the thing down with a paper towel and be done. Oh. You think about, yeah, I mean, those glass electric element tops that have been mm-hmm. around for 25, 30 years out there, you're right. They just love baking. And if it's sugar, it's on there forever. Yeah, right? You just get the scraper out and yeah. a little bit. It's coming. Yeah, it's it's yeah. done. But again, technology keeps getting better and better. And induction's been in Europe for 50 years, probably. It's been there forever. Yeah. And we're kind of getting slow to to coming back to that. It, interesting thing about that too is, you know, I, so I was, um, was on a trip to an Airbnb where there was a really high end induction cooktop, mm-hmm. um, made by a really fancy name brand. And the one I bought is the sort of, I think the most affordable one I could find at Lowe's. It was nice. $900. Okay. Um, there's no difference. There's no difference in the cooking experience between the $900 one and the probably three or 4,000 or maybe more maybe version more. that I saw <laughs> at the Airbnb. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, these are not, in some cases, they're not even all that expensive products to buy in the first place. Um, and now you have the incentives coming from the from the government and from utilities to help offset some of that cost. So, you know, I think for a lot of people, this adds up to um, a no brainer in a lot of circumstances. If you can see how much energy you can save and how much better the quality is. And yeah, I think even the idea that you have these portable induction cooktops um, for 70, 70, 80 bucks Mm -hmm. that you can buy and try for yourself. Maybe you're not convinced that this is going to be for you and, you know, you're, you think you're going to be cooking on gas for the rest of your life because you love cooking on gas. You can buy this thing, try it out, actually use it around your house, even after you try it out to keep food warm outside or whatever the case may be. If you're having a party, it's a nice little warming tray at the, at a minimum, but go try it and see for yourself how much better it is. Cause I think a lot of people will be pleasantly surprised at the experience. Um, and then, you know, once they realize how little cleaning they have to do, yeah, (laughs) even more more pleased at the end of the day. Yeah, I saw a pellet grill with one installed on the side of it as an accessory. Mm. And nice. that was the first that I was like, all right, that's kind of cool. It was a nice big one right there that you could put a, a stock pot on so you could be, uh, you know, doing your surf and turf out there and enjoying yourself. Right. So I was like, sold. That's the first time I've seen one on a barbecue. That'll be my next pellet grill, I guess. See? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... In a nutshell, and you know, we'll have to wrap up here in a few minutes, but I, I want to make sure that people understand right now that that if you're looking to upgrade your HVAC system, and what I mean is is that you haven't just put one in five years ago, but if you're looking right now, there are some the money that it's gonna save you. I have never seen rebates like this before to incentivize people to go out and upgrade their system right now. And I think that's really the best message for a homeowner out there, even if there's you know, I've seen stuff here, even in my state, where if you're a landlord and you've got multiple units, there's some incentives mm-hmm. for landlords as well to to make that conversion. Uh, now's the time. Yeah, we're we're building tools on our website and rewiringamerica.org to help people understand what federal incentives, tax credits are available to them. Um, I will note the the incentives, uh, the incentive, the electrification rebate program. Those are not yet 
out and available in the market, but we mm-hmm. expect them in early late 2023, early 2024 to start to roll out. Mm-hmm. The tax credits are available today. Yep. Um, you got to sort of do your homework and figure out what's available to you. But yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's plenty of, oper- there are hundreds of thousands of homes uh, today in this country that could very, uh, very easily start to save a ton of money on their energy bills and make some of these upgrades and be credited back and have paybacks that are very, very short. Whether those home, they're those homes that are using delivered fuels like oil that are super expensive right now, or those homes that are on electric resistance where you're going to get that three or four times efficiency improvement right off the bat, um, or whatever. Like there's, there's lots of homes that can do this very cost effectively right now. Um, and people just, I think people should just take the time to look at what's in their house and understand what systems they have. I'm sure the people listening to your show are going to be pretty savvy about what's in their home, but maybe their neighbors aren't and they can talk to their neighbors about this or their family members. Um, I use my, my parents' home, uh, often as an example, when I talk to people. So I grew up in Rhode Island in a, uh, pretty modest house and there is an oil boiler for heat and an old 26 year old at this point, central air conditioner for air conditioning. Yeah. Uh, that air conditioner, I'm surprised it's still going <laughs> needs to be replaced. Um, so my, my parents pay for inefficient air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, their house is poorly insulated as well, which is another story. If they listen to this podcast, they'll probably be upset with me for bringing this up. Uh, their house is poorly insulated. It has inefficient air conditioner that's very old and near the end of its life. And it has oil heat, which is super expensive right yeah. now. Um, and it's in New England. So it's also, there's a lot of heating demand. Mm-hmm. So if they were to do some modest insulation insulation improvements to their home mm-hmm. and not even touch their oil furnace, yep. uh, but put in a heat pump instead of that air conditioner, they already have duct work. Mm-hmm. Um, that heat pump would offset probably 40, 60, 80% of their oil use, mm-hmm. maybe more depending on what quality heat pump they got. Yep. And it would make their air conditioning way more efficient because their air conditioner is old as can be. Yeah. So they would probably save thousands of dollars a year on their energy bills. Easily. Because we Easily. all know what that old air conditioner that's that old has, you know, yeah. how many, you know, how much power that thing's when it's cranking in the summertime, you right. know, that thing's so inefficient. And it's so, super loud. I mean, th- yeah. there like there are lots of houses like that in the world. Oh. Um, right now that could save thousands of dollars right today on yep. their energy bills with a simple, in this case, a very simple upgrade, mm-hmm. which is just switching their central existing old central air conditioner for a central heat pump and then using that as the primary source of heat. So all spring, all fall, and most of the winter, you get really efficient electric heat instead of really expensive and inefficient oil heat. And then in the summer, your air conditioning bills also go down because you've gotten way more efficient on the air conditioning side. Yep. Um, and you do some, you know, you do some uh, insulation and air sealing work and get an energy audit and do all those things to improve the, the building itself. Yeah. Um, and there are plenty of experts out there to do that. And you're saving thousands of dollars every year. Yeah, it's it's so smart. And like you said, everybody knows somebody with this situation in their home. It's so common. And you're not rewiring the house to do this because that AC unit is using so much power that your draw is going to be, you're not putting in a new circuit for that anywhere. And it's going to be that much more efficient. And you're right. It's just going to keep paying you back as well as healthier air because it's going to do a heck of a lot better job of filtering and moving air as well. Like I said. Yep. 
So that, that is so smart. So you think those uh, bigger rebates, uh, we're, we're expecting end of the year as far as what we're seeing. I know we've been waiting for that stuff to roll out for people. Yeah, it's up to, so each, the way these programs, the rebate programs work is that each state energy office yep. is responsible for administering these. They get the money from the federal government and they then roll these programs out. So some states are more well prepared than others to do this. Um, and we think that we've seen, you know, some states are starting to put uh, put their plans together to do this even sort of ahead of the, the federal government guidance because they are anticipating what it's going to be. Um, and other states are probably well behind that. So sure. really it depends where you live. Yep. Um, but yeah, I would say late later this year, early next year to start seeing those hit the market. So but the tax credits, again, the tax yeah. credits are available today um, to, any, to anybody. And that just leaves you to save up right now. So uh, start planning ahead for when those things do hit. If you don't have the money today, put a little money aside right now so you can get on that and uh, use that money. I mean, it's free money to you, right? Yeah. And it's it's tax money that's coming back to you. So uh, they've already spent it. You might as well take your share and uh, make your house more comfortable and save energy in the long run. Yeah, you raised one, one last point maybe. Um, you said planning today. Uh, I think that's a really critical point, right? So um, most, as we I said earlier, most people don't really think about the furnace or the boiler. And they it's like the thing in Home Alone that you try to stay away from unless you get trapped in the basement. Yep. Um, you should think about the way your home is heated and cooled. These are big investments, much like a car. You generally know what kind of car you have and how old it is. I encourage people, and we're trying to encourage people everywhere to do that planning and understand the way their home works and what upgrades are needed and when, right? So, you know, have a plan. You know, your HVAC system might be, uh, I don't know, 10 years old. So maybe you have five, 10 years left on that. You know, your water heater's 15 years old and already past the end of its life. So maybe that should be your first priority to upgrade. But just doing this assessment of the equipment in your home and how, you know, are you comfortable in your home? Is it performing well? Are you pleased with the way, yeah. uh, with your air quality? All these things that like get this understanding of the way your house works um, and then put that plan together. And hopefully in the near future, we'll have some tools uh, coming out to help people do that planning as well and, and put nice. them in touch with qualified contractors and and all the stuff that needs to happen to make this a bit more, um, bit more of like a, you know, easeful journey for people yeah. to, to get their electrified. Absolutely. And one little keynote too, just an asterisk for all the people out there. They're like, oh, my system's 10 years. I'll get another 10 years out of it. Just keep in mind, uh, this year they made a lot of refrigerant changes for those older units. So some of these older units, it's not going to make sense to convert over to the new refrigerant. So mm -hmm. it's going to be better for you to do the upgrade. So if you've got that 10-year-old system, start planning now because you're going to need to put a new one in and it's going to save you money in the long run. Yep. All right. Well, Stephen, thanks for coming on today, man. You're a wealth of knowledge, and I hope uh, our listeners out there have really got some new ideas on how to save some money and, of course, be a little better on the environment around themselves. Well, thanks, Eric. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks. Where do people track you guys down? I mean, you guys have a big website and stuff like that. Where do people find you? We are at rewiringamerica.org. Awesome. Stephen Pantero, thanks for coming on today, brother. All right. Thank you, sir. And you've been listening to Around the House. Anywhere beyond the mean, life is 
It's Eric G from around the house. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.